Let's pray, and we'll get into our spiritual warfare elements. Father, thank you, Lord, for uh, this, this evening that you have given us to come together and fellowship and, and uh, be around other believers that are like-minded. We appreciate that. It's very refreshing. And so we thank you for this opportunity to study spiritual warfare because it's, it's imperative that we know this, that, that we know how to fight spiritual battles. And so thank you, Father, for this opportunity. And uh, we just we pray you fill us with the Holy Spirit so we'd apply all this stuff that we're learning tonight. And um, bless us now in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so where we left off on spiritual warfare is uh, we're talking about the cosmos or the world. The phrase is used many times uh, in the scriptures um, but the, the, when we talk about it, it's the satanic world system, the system that Satan controls, and we see it very active today, and we're going to talk about that later on in our current events as you see the system working in Russia and Ukraine and other places like Israel. We'll talk more about this. But one of the things that you, you notice that, that the, the, the world system is evil, it, it offers nothing of God, it's devoid of God, and we talked about all that stuff. Well, then when we get into spiritual warfare, one of the key elements that 1 John 5, 4 is gonna talk about is how to overcome the world. Now, Christ said it himself, take heart, I have overcome the world. In this world, you have tribulations, but I have, I have overcome it. In one sense, we're overcomers of the world by coming to faith in the Messiah. Okay, so we're, we're, we're removed or plucked out, and now we're saved in that saved condition from that world system. But we're still here, we're still functioning in it, even though we've been plucked out and, and removed from the kingdom of darkness. But since we're still here, we still have to fight because we're behind enemy lines. Well, the only way you can really fight is first of all, number one, you have to be saved. But number two, you, you function in this realm and oppose this realm by faith. And, and that's what we're really gonna explore tonight and how does that work? How does that function in the life of a believer in spiritual warfare? Okay, so initially, the regeneration that you have in coming to faith in Christ, once you're saved, starts you in that victory path, okay? That's, that's why Christ can say you have overcome the world because you have been regenerated. Now you are alive and you have eternal life, okay? That gives you then the ability to obey commands. So like in the Old Testament, you were not given the ability to obey the commands like you do like you do now. Now you have the Holy Spirit and the new nature that, that's inside of you that has been made born again that actually wants to obey, and now you have the power to obey those commands through the Holy Spirit, and we've talked about that. So it initially sets you on the right path, the right footing. And again, now we're moving into sanctification. We're not talking about justification. We're now moving into sanctification. Therefore, in sanctification, please understand what I'm saying, not justification, but sanctification, in order to have victory in your life, you must continue to believe, not for salvation, but to have victory, if that makes sense. I want you to make very clear that we're not talking about losing salvation. You can never lose salvation. If you believe in the eternal promise of, of God, he says, believe in me and you have everlasting life. Okay, that's, that's what we call eternal security. Okay, 
So take that out of the equation. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about sanctification and how to have victory in sanctification. The only way you can have victory in sanctification is by faith. So your salvation is by faith and your sanctification is by faith, okay? So sanctification is about you being conformed to the image of Christ, taking on uh, the traits, the moral attributes, the, the, uh, the, the value system that God gives in your personal life and actually living that out through your behavior, okay? So this is where we have to start drilling down. This is where you have to understand what sanctification is about. We've talked about, too, that it'll, sanctification will be seen in obedience, but you don't want to put the cart before the horse. Many Christians try to be obedient, but they're being obedient without faith. You have to have faith first, and then it translates into obedience, translates into behavior. And so when Christians put the cart before the horse, they try to obey through their efforts, and they come up short. So if a guy's addicted to something or a gal's addicted to something, it could be anything, chocolate cake, it could be drugs, alcohol, whatever it might be, whatever the addiction is, um, they'll say, well, I'm just gonna give it my college try. I'm gonna give it my best self-effort. I'm really, really gonna try hard this time. You will fail. You will fail at that because that is trying to overcome something through human effort. You do not obey through human effort. That's what the, the, you know, what the Israelites found out many times in trying to obey the law. They came up short, right? Many times, whether it's outwardly or inwardly, you come up short. Okay, so, so then as far as the satanic attack will be on you, it will come from Satan in the form of trying to overcome your own personal sin through your own self-effort. That's what he will tempt you to do. And that if you put all the controls in your life, Colossians 2, do not touch, do not taste, do not do this, do not do that, all seem like a form of godliness, right? All seem wise in human eyes, but Paul will say it will render nothing in terms of your sanctification. It will do nothing for you when you get into starting to keep rules and regulations that you create in order to not sin. Now, you can do all kinds of things. Not all the things will be bad. I get it. You got to put boundaries around yourself. You got to put all kinds of things to prevent yourself from getting into an environment that might be susceptible to you. But let's, let's just take an issue of pornography, okay? This is, an, is a simple one. So a guy can come and say, hey, man, I'm struggling with pornography, so my wife wants me to put controls on the computer and uh, you know, put controls on my phone, and I'm going to stay away from any internet or anything like that at work, and yada, yada, yada. Okay, that's good. I, I, no one would say that's a bad thing, that, okay, you're controlling your environment and you're, you're trying to make it not possible to get into that, which is good things. If that's the only thing you do, you won't ever get healed of it because all you're doing is cutting off branches. So you can say, I don't look at the computer, but here's the issue. The issue is still in your heart. That's the issue. And, and what will happen is even if you cut yourself off from that, how do you cut yourself off from your brain or your mind? You get what I'm saying? 
You can still lust in your mind without having pornography, can't you? Yeah. What did the old what did they do in the old days? They lusted in their mind. They didn't have pornography. But what, how did they lust in Jesus' day? In their head. Didn't they? So if you think pornography is the issue, you're wrong. Pornography is not the issue. The issue is somewhere in the heart. And it's somewhere where a disbelief is happening about that. So, so my thing is, I'm not saying that, that you can do all those things in your life, you know, and say, well, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that just to pre- prevent me. That's okay. But long as you don't, you know, it doesn't stay there. Like you know, in the old days, we, you know, the, the, the old Baptists, you say, well, we don't dance. Okay. But if you go to Jewish Messianic believers, they do dance. So, well, that's, Brandon, you know, the problem is you, you, you start dancing, it's sin. What do you mean by that? Well, it can cause sin. Okay. Is David wrong for dancing before the Lord? You see what I'm starting to say? It's a worship. You see, the problem is they get into a thing and they're going to say, well, all dancing is wrong. Okay, but let's back up. What if your daughter's getting married and you have a dance with your daughter at her wedding? That would be a good thing. But in, when you see, when you make a blanket statement like that, that all dancing is wrong and we don't do it because of sin, you're now in legalism at that point in time. Now, I understand, you know, the, 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 you know, the disco or whatever, you know, techno, techno bars or whatever it is, the kind of dancing that goes on in there and everything and, and clubs and stuff like that. I get that. That's, a lot of that's wrong, obviously. But the problem is someone will, will throw the baby out with the bathwater. You get what I'm saying? And they'll go too far with it because that's what man does. When he makes up a rule, he goes too far. He won't be consistent. And, and so that's what you have to be careful because that's what Colossians 2 is trying to get at. Paul is saying, okay, th- saying that you won't go to a movie that's R-rated, that has the appearance of wisdom, I get it, but what's really at the problem? Is it about you going to a movie or is it about you in your heart have a problem? Because what if you say, I don't go to R-rated movies, but you watch R-rated programs on TV? That's just stupid. Who does that? But that's what people do. And they'll claim holiness. See, I don't go to R-rated movies, Brandon. Oh, okay. But then they're watching all the filth on TV like there's nothing going on. And it's like, dude, you're so inconsistent. Okay, so I'm giving you those examples of that's not how to live a victorious Christian life. That's how to lead yourself into legalism. Now, again, if you're doing something because, man, I got, a, I got a problem, Brandon, and I have a problem with alcohol, so I'm not going to walk in a bar. I get that, totally. But is, walk, is the bar the real issue? Because you can go drink at home. Right? You see the problem? So what people start doing is they try to witness war against sin on the outward, and but don't ever address the inward. Because everything you can do outward, you can do behind closed doors. And that becomes the problem. And that was what the Pharisees were dealing with, right? And that's how they taught through the rabbis that, well, it's all outwardly. But then Jesus was nailing them, what, on the internal, right? He was nailing them. 
You look on a woman with lust, boom, nailed him. Hatred in your brother for no reason, boom, nailed him. So what you have to start realizing is what not to do. So the first thing is to do is you can't go into man-made rules to be your only resource to prevent you from sin because it won't work. It won't last. Somehow you'll figure out a loophole. And people do. So I'll give you an example. There's girls that are addicted to pornography, women that are addicted to pornography. It's, it's like, a, I think, between 40 and 60% of women. It's high, higher than you think. Okay, so the gal will say, well, you know, I, I, I had to shut off my computer. I had to, I had to get off the internet, and, and then I was, I was safe. And so months later, I come back and I ask him in counseling, I go, how are you doing on the pornography? Well, you know, um, I don't know if you realize this, but through Kindle, you can get pornography. Did you know that? I hope you don't. So... The lady's feeling good about herself because she cut off all the electronics, but then on her Kindle, these stories, these romantic stories on Kindle, here's what you don't know. They have hyperlinks in the text of like, you know, remember Fabio, the guy that was on the cover of all these romantic novels? Jerry knows, right? (laughs) Just kidding, Jerry, Jerry. So you, they have Fabio in the front, but here's what happens on Kindle. They have hyperlinks, and on the hyperlinks, they're links to pornography scenes that pretend to be Fabio and the gal in the, mo- in the book. You see what the human nature does? Even though I cut myself off, I will find a loophole to do it through another resource. Or then people will go on the dark web and find it. And there's no trace because, you know, they'll do covenant eyes with me and they'll do covenant. And I've had people do this with me and they have covenant eyes and that's where I check, you know, they, they hold, I hold them accountable where they go on the internet and all this other stuff. And I'm, I'm fine with that. But you know what ends up happening? Sometimes the guys are cheating on that because they go to, through the dark web. So yeah, it's not going to appear on covenant eyes, but they go through the dark web. What's my point? The point is, if you think you're going to control your sin from outward acts, you're wrong. You only can can control the sin through faith. And so what that guarantees you is if you work on the faith part, in the internal part, no matter where you go, you carry that with you. You don't have to have an environment that has no internet access because what's inside of you is stronger than the outward. And so Satan has taught Christians, unfortunately, to try to fight the spiritual war with doing physical things. And you can't do that. Do they help? Yeah, but they don't. They're basically this. They help, but they don't cure. They won't cure the problem. Whatever the issue is, it could be unforgiveness. I, I'm just, it could be pride. It could be any of that stuff, right? So, so then, so you, you overcome the world in your sanctification by faith. Well, okay, well, I don't understand that. Well, what do you mean? Do I just, I really believe, I really believe. Is that what it is? No. 
What are you believing God for? So it's not about salvation. You've already believed God for salvation. You believe that he can give you eternal life. Okay, you believe that. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a different belief. A belief in what, though? In order to overcome sin, in order to overcome battles, you have to believe God for those things. What specifically do I have to believe God for? You have to then find where the deficit is in your thinking, in your belief system, where the lie is, and then counteract that with what the truth of God says to that lie. That's how it's, it's done. And you have to believe in order to transfer over to have victory. So let me give you an example. Um, for my own life. Um, as you grow up, as I grew up, my environment went out of control. Okay, so my parents divorced and my life went out of control in, in my mind. I was 11 years old and everything just goes haywire, you know, like your stability in life just goes crazy as a little kid. And you don't know how to interpret that. You're a little kid. You don't have the processing in the brain to be able to say, okay, it's this and that. Okay, so what ends up happening is several things will develop in you, okay? Um, uh, your sense of value will go down. I've talked to you about that. But the other thing that will happen is when you lose control and you felt that the world was out of control and you couldn't gain it back, you will somehow make a vow inside your, your soul and saying, I will never lose control again. And you know what it sets you up to be? Control freak. Okay? And the control freak, what, it, what they're trying to do, is they, they come across overbearing and very difficult to be with, but the, what the control freak is trying to do is settle their soul because they feel out of control, and the only way they can get control is by controlling the environment. And so whether they become obsessively clean or they have to control how things are going uh, in their life or whatever, and other people or what they're involved in, they become over-controlling, overbearing, and very difficult to deal with. Okay, so I'm on that track of over-controlling my environment. So this is why, like, when I played, I got very angry. I, I played with an a, a anger because if someone, you know, hit a home run off me or whatever, I took it personally that I'm losing control, right? I'm losing control, and I don't like that. So next time the guy's up, I'm going to hit him. Because I lost control, and I will show you, you will never dig in like that again, and you will be on your heels the next time, so I want to plunk you. That's just how you played, okay? So that's my mindset, because that's how angry I was for losing control. Now, I'm using me as an example, but all of us can look at your own life, and you're like, okay, did I lose control in my life at some point in time? Did I lose somebody? Did my parents divorce? Did I go through something? Okay, I got to make sure I don't go into that. Okay, so... How would I overcome control if I'm a control freak? Is well, I just got to let go. No, it ain't going to work. You can try that all you want. Well, I'll just let go. I'll just let go. It will eat you up inside to let go. And you won't be able to take it because it just eats you up. See, I don't want to be eaten up. Even if I'm just, well, I'm, just, I'm not going to turn a blind eye to that and, and not try to control that. It will eat you up. 
And so eventually it'll fester out in some other type of weird behavior. Um, so what the Lord showed me, and this is all through my 20s, it's been a whole 10 years trying to figure this out, man. Um, really struggling. The issue I had for controlling was I didn't trust God's control. I lacked faith in the control of God because here is what Satan put into my head. If God is in control, why didn't he control your family situation? You see how it worked? So he must not be that interested in controlling your life for good because otherwise he wouldn't have let that bad happen. And boom, right there is where the doubt starts happening. Yeah, you're right. How come he didn't rescue me from this? How come he didn't intervene? How come he let it go out of control? And so I end up with a wrong thought of, well, you can't trust his control because he lets bad things happen, so I better take control because I don't trust him, but I trust myself. And so you start controlling and controlling. And if it doesn't stop, it carries into adulthood and you control your spouse and you control your church and you control everyone you're around. And then you have a schedule that no one can abide by and you're on this and you're on that. And no one can actually deal with you because you're so rigid in your control, no one wants to be around you anymore. And they don't care. They don't care. This is the way I'm going to manage my life, and this is the way it's going to be, and tough. If you don't fit into this, this control freak narrative, then you don't belong in my area because I am never going to lose control again. Right? That's, how that, that's, what, that's the end result. The person's extremely rigid, and then at the end complains about everyone and everything. That's how it ends up. They, comp- they become the constant complainers. The, they go through life, and nothing's ever right. Ever, ever. So they go to a uh, they go to a, 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 a vacation. They come back complaining. Yeah, because why? When you're on voca- vacation, I get it. I get it because I struggle with this. You save money to go on vacation, right? You're thinking I'm going to go to paradise, and everyone's going to treat me nice. My bags are going to come through. The hotel won't have roaches. Do you have to think like that? Because I do. <laughs> um, they will treat me nice is another misnomer. Because I, I paid money, and they should treat me nice. The stewardess should treat me nice. The hotel should treat me nice, and even the other passengers. And what you do is, what a control freak does is they go into that environment, and all of a sudden, no one's, they don't have, they have the wrong expectations. So they go in, the stewardess is rude. My, my bags got lost. The guy, the bellhop at, the, at the, the, the guy who picked up our bags, he was rude or whatever. Uh, he got mad. And then I was at the pool and these, these guys were drunk and they were making a, a big mess, yada, yada, yada. And so, hey, how did your vacation go to the Bahamas? Well, it was awful. It was awful. Yeah, but you're at the Bahamas. It was awful. You don't understand, Brandon. When I hear someone complain about good things, they're a control freak. That's their problem. They just think all life is against them, don't they? 
but it's really not. It's about they want to control everybody. Look, you walk outside here. Do you expect to be treated nice? But generally, yes, but you know you're not, some people are not like that, right? There's people that threaten you. So that's reality. But in the control freak mind, there is no other reality. It must go as planned. And if it doesn't, I'm mad. So anger, a lot of times, is traced to I can't control the, my environment. That's why they get so mad. That's why people clean their house three times a day. What, tell me why. Why would someone clean their house three times a day? They found a dust bunny, right? Why, why does that happen? Because this is a very common thing, especially among women. They turn to this, and they become clean freaks. And I get it. You want to have a clean house, but when you're cleaning your house three times a day and vacuuming three times a day, you've got a problem. But you know what's really happening is, is the person is trying to say, I've got to get control of the environment, and my only way to do that, make myself feel, is to control my house. I, I, some people have been so crazy on this. They've told me. I, I, I'm hearing this in counseling. I'm not making this stuff up, man. The grandparents were such control freaks. I mean, they were both the, 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 the grandpa and the grandma control freaks out of, the, out of, out of control. Spinning out of control. So the, the, so the grandkids would come over and... You know, the, the son and daughter, daughter-in-law bring them in. Here comes the grandkids running to grandma and grandpa and stop right there. We just waxed the floor. We just vacuumed. Get your feet off the ground. <laughs> and the son and daughter, mom, dad, what are they supposed to do? Like, like hang on with no, you know, what do you mean get their feet off the ground? Fly to you? What do you want them to do? Get your feet off the ground. We just mopped the floor. Okay, so you can see that's a problem, right? So you're not going to be visiting those types of people very often when you have to get your feet off the floor. Okay, that's how bad it gets. But really, when you look at that, and you're like, man, they're crazy. My mom and dad are crazy when they act like that. It's not really they're crazy. It's they're trying to control their environment because they lost control when they were little and they never really gained it back. And then what starts happening in the relationship, they try to control others. You must act a certain way in order for me to get, your, get my approval of you, and so you must do what I tell you to do. And when that starts happening to people, they, they burn their relationships. Who wants to be a part of that, you know? And, and unfortunately, too many people play into that. They want their approval or something like that. So you have an overbearing spouse that's a control freak, and this poor person, or the other spouse, woman or male, are sitting there thinking, well, this is the only way to get her approval. It's the only way to get her calmed down, so I'll just march in order. And before you know it, the dude's standing on his head whistling Dixie because that's what she requires. And it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy, but, but the, the, what... So if you tell that person in counseling, hey, stop controlling, what do you think they can do with that? Nothing. They can't stop because they don't know why they're controlling. You see? I had to figure out 
why I, I took such a controlling nature in my early 20s. I couldn't figure it out. I just, I just got to stop this. I just got to stop this. Well, that doesn't help anything. And I kept praying to the Lord, hey, what, what is this? I want to know. I want to know. And what, when it ends up happening through the course of study and, and him impressing me, he says, you don't trust me for the control. That's your problem. Oh, I didn't know it was a faith issue at all. And so then when he reveals that to me, I said, okay, I don't trust you, but, it, but theologically, I should trust him. You know, here's this, this is the weird thing that you're going to see in your struggle with sin is you already know what to do. When someone tells you, yeah, just trust God for provision, trust God for control, that's a, you can ascend to that and say, yeah, I, that's right. That's totally right. But what's the problem? I can't transfer over here. I know it's true, but I can't make the transfer over. This is what people talk to me in counseling. They say, I get what you're saying, and I, I see what I'm doing, but how do you go from point A to point B, even though I know this is right? What do you think holds people back from going to this to faith in God's control? What stops them? Even though you intellectually know that's the answer. You're right. I need to trust God for control. How come I can't go from here to there that easy? Why is it so difficult to go to faith? What's holding me back? Even though I know it's right. What keeps me here? Sin nature, part of it, absolutely. The sin nature loves to relish in not trusting God, no doubt about that. But there's something, yeah, there's unhealed trauma, and there's something, even though, here's the thing, I can identify my, my, my trauma, and I still will not be able to move over there. See, people in counseling think if they identify what there's going on in them, then they're set free. That's not true. You, that's only one step. You identify it, but then there's something you have to change. Yeah, that, that's part of it. Okay, so here's the thing. You're telling me, Brandon, that if I'm a control freak, and I know I should be over here saying, trust God's control, trust God's control. I know that's the right thing to do. But I can't make that leap, even though I know it's right. So then what I have to analyze inside myself is why don't I let go of the control? I don't trust it. I don't trust him. It, okay. <laughs> let's, let's spoon feed you all the way. I want you to think. I want you to think because whatever issue you're dealing with is the same issue. I don't care what it is. It, it, it's, it's control. It's uh, pride. Whatever it might be, it's the same issue. So what prevents a person from leaving their stuck state? They're stuck, okay? They're stuck. They know the answer. They know how to identify what the problem is. They don't even know where it came from. It came from their mommy and daddy, or it came from trauma, or it came from their childhood. It came from what happened in high school. It came from their, their, their divorce, whatever, okay? 
you don't sit there and blame that. You just can identify that's where it came from. That's all you're supposed to do. Don't sit there like a victim and say, poor me, I never can get out of this. No, no, you would just identify it so that you know what you're working with. Okay, so in order to transfer into simply by faith, trusting in God's control, I must let go of something. There's something I'm holding on to that prevents me from going over here. Yes, I already know it's a lie, but something preventing me from this because I get a reward for staying in the stuck position. And that's what people don't want to give up. There is pleasure in sin, the writer of Hebrews says. So I'm stuck because I derive a pleasure from my controlling. What's, what pleasure would that be in trying to control? What am I getting back when I control my environment? I'm building my own security. I'm controlling others, and no one will hurt me ever again. Oh. You're asking me to give up my way of managing life. You're asking me to give up the way I deal with relationships and the way I feel good when I can control the, 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 the environment. Even though I know it's wrong, it still gives me a feeling of pleasure controlling others and controlling my environment. And you're saying I have to let go. Well, then here's where the stoppage is. I don't know how to manage life when you tell me just to simply trust God for control. I don't. I will lose my ability to manage life, and that's what I'm not. Hold, I'm not letting go of. Because at least in my hell, I know the street signs. You do. The abnormal then becomes the normal. And people out on the outside looking in and say, man, you're crazy, dude. But no, but going home, everyone's been functioning like that for 20 years. Oh, this is how we, this is how we do it here. This is how we roll. But you're crazy. The way you're rolling is crazy. It's going to end in death or something. You know, it could be, well, we always smoke pot at night. Come on, Brandon, I don't understand. You know, it's, now it's legal. So we're going to smoke until, you know, the Lord calls us home. It's going to kill you. But see, but... So somehow rationalize that, and you'll go on the outside, hey, man, that ain't right for you. It's okay for us. This is how we roll. This is why I clean the house three times a day. This is how we roll. Don't you like a nice, clean house? Yeah, but my goodness, uh, you could spend your time on better things. See, but so, no, go back to the control thing. So here's what the Lord was teaching me. If you stay where you're at, Brandon, trying to control everything, it will control you. You will downward spiral in your quest for control and you will get more trapped and more in a hole that you will not be able to dig yourself out of. That's the nature of addiction. The nature of addiction is the person thinks he can control the addiction, but the addiction controls them and spins them downward whether it's drugs, alcohol, sex, whatever you want. They think they're getting freedom. They're actually enslaving themselves, right? The truth sets you free. Believing in God will set you free. How does it set me free? If I believe God in his control of my life, it sets me free from trying to control life. I can give it up now. But I got to be willing 
to do radical amputation on my way of managing life, which gives me the reward. When your right eye causes you to sin, what does Jesus say? Cut it out. Your right arm causes you to cut it off. What was he trying to point? He's talking about radical amputation. Now, here's what he's, if you want to parse this out in how this works. Those things that are keeping you in the sin, the stuck part, have to be radically amputated. You have to get rid of it. Now, when you think about his metaphor, is here's what happens. If I cut my arm off, if I cut my eye out, if I cut my leg off, how do I walk through life now? You see, you have to take the metaphor all the way out. I don't have a leg, so I'm hopping through life. I'm blind, so I can only see through one eye. I don't have an arm, so I have one arm and one leg. What is the metaphor trying to say? It's really saying is this, look, when you cut things off, you need to expect that you're going to start hobbling through life because I have now cut off your way of managing life. You thought you were whole and managing everything and you had your eyes and your hands and everything. But I'm going to tell you what you were doing with your right arm. We need to cut it off. And now it's going to be difficult for you to walk. It's going to feel abnormal. It's going to feel uncomfortable, but it is the right thing. You will feel abnormal when you trust God. It will make you feel that you're, you're, you're hobbling through life when actually you're not because your normal, your abnormal was normal to you. So to get you back into normality, it's going to feel abnormal. Does that make sense? Okay. That's what happens to us. We start thinking the abnormal is the way to go, and it's not. But that's how jacked up we are when he says, cut it off and start walking with me. And you're like, I can't walk that way. I've never walked that way. Well, this is how you were created to walk. So it's going to feel abnormal until you get used to it. Oh, that's the idea of radical amputation. Jake. So they would have had to cut my head off, right? I mean, because my mind was all screwed up. Okay. so so, like, I get it, right? And then... We have to have the mind of Christ. We have to right, renew our mind, and yeah. and bam, and it takes a minute. It's that transition period, and then it's a sanctification process. It's amazing. I kind of came in a little late, but... You're tracking. But, yeah. So uh, you have to give up the way you thought to the way Christ thinks. Yeah, it's our stinking thinking. It's our stinking thinking. bless America. Thinking, right. And so thinking, the, the way we think, is tied to the way we believe. So belief is right here in your thinking. So that's why the war right here is in how you think. Okay, so, so as you can see, this is a process. And so the way to have victory in the spiritual realm is you have to believe God. Now, here's the thing. If you transfer over there and say, okay, God's in control, and you really believe it, you will stop being a control freak. That's just the way it is. That's how it is. It immediately sets you free if you truly believe it. And here's, you want to know, do you truly believe it? Ask your spouse, are, am I a control freak? They'll tell you, yes. Right? Your spouse won't lie to you. Well, you're getting better. I don't know, but you're not all, all the way there. Okay, so if your spouse tells you you're getting better, 
okay, which is good, but what am I lacking? Well, it means that there's a deficit in your belief system in God. You kind of trust him in that area, but you don't fully trust him. If you fully trust wholeheartedly, the term in scripture is wholeheartedly. If you wholeheartedly believe in God for whatever it is, provision, control, whatever, you, you won't ever have a problem after that because it's solidified, it's guaranteed, and no, nothing can shake you on that. That's when you really stand on the rock. But some people have one foot on the rock and one foot on sand. Yeah, you become double-minded, but they're like, I trust them a little bit, but I still have my reserves. That's, that's kind of how they play the game. And that kind of faith is shaky faith. It's, it's very, it's on thin ice because all it takes is something really to rock that, something catastrophe wise, and they're, they're back in their old mode. They go back into, they default. We call it defaulting. And the reason we default is because we, we might, I don't know, I'm using percentages just to kind of give an illustration. You 50% trust God in that area, but the other 50% you don't. Okay, well, then you'll, when you, you get something big that you can't handle, you'll default. You'll default back into what you did because you're not there. You're not 100%. You're, and the 100% is, in the Hebrew is wholeheartedness, wholeheartedness. You'll see Joshua make that claim. Trust the Lord wholeheartedly. The, whole, the 100% is the idea. And when you can do that, you can take on anything basically because of faith. Well, Satan then comes, and he underst- Satan understands this concept, by the way. He actually is trying to hide it from you so that you don't understand it. And Satan will say, look, this is too risky to trust him. Yes, you can believe in him for your salvation and all that. That's I, okay, okay. But really, in your sanctity, in your walk with him, I don't know if you really can trust him. Because, man, you know, look in your own life. Because... And this is what Satan does. He takes you back to your, your, your life and your history and says, remember that time over there? Man, I didn't see him deliver there. Where was he at that? And do you remember that when that happened? How come he didn't rescue there? And how come that situation got out of control and you will go through your head and Satan will use your history against you? He is a master at that. This is what people don't know how to fight. They don't know how to view their history. So as a me, as an 11-year-old boy, I'm thinking, well, my life got out of control. But really, was it, in, what is it, was it out of control? No, it was fully in control. I just didn't see it. I didn't take it by faith. Now, you know, I'm 48 and I'm looking back and I see God's hand in everything. There wasn't a, a, a single thing that was out of control when that happened to me. So now I can trust God in that sense. But it's me going back into my history and reevaluating that. See, what people don't do is they, they don't look at their history. Unfortunately, and I cannot stand this, you have biblical counselors, so-called, and Christian counselors that are telling people, using a scripture out of context, saying, well, you just need to press on. Paul said, I press on. Is that what really Paul was talking about? I sweep all my past under the carpet and I press on. Is that what he was saying when he used that phrase, forgetting what is behind, I press on? Is that a counseling term that he was using? It was not. It was not. 
he was using it in a term of not only what he suffered, but anything in his pride that he had going for him. Remember, he said he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He says no one could beat him religiously. Studied at the feet of Gamaliel. He had the utmost, if you want to call it resume, you're not going to beat the Apostle Paul in his religious devotion to God. But in light of that, it meant nothing because it didn't get him saved. It didn't sanctify him. And so the idea of forgetting what is behind it, knowing that, look, that kind of stuff didn't help me. It didn't aid me. And even in the persecutions, I, you know, I'm just going to move on from that. It wasn't a counseling term of bury your past and move on. It's a, an idea of, look, whatever you think you had good before you met Christ is, is dung compared to that. That's what he said about his education. That's what he said about you know, studying at the feet of Gamaliel. Gamaliel. It's just dung. It was worthless and, and compared to no, the knowledge of Christ, right? And so counselors will use that phrase, and they do a death blow on people. And when they tell people to forget what's going, all going on inside of them, bury it, it will take root, and it will sprout a tree out of those people. Because... According to Hebrews chapter 12, you have to get out, you get the root out of you. You just can't, I'm going to bury the root and pretend it won't grow a tree because it will grow a tree. I don't care what you think. It will grow a tree and you will not know why you do certain things because a root is there. So it's satanic to tell people to forget your past. What are you supposed to do with your past? It is not to blame anybody. You don't want to go into victimhood on that. You look and analyze, okay, what did I go through And what am I looking for? I'm looking for how God helped me. So if I have a problem with control, I look back in my life and I look at how God controlled my whole life. Even through the bad times, he was there. And so actually, when I look back at my history, my history tells me he's always been in control. Okay, so, so you do that on a personal level. That's why he kept doing that to Israel. What did he do to Israel? Every time they came up to a crossing point, remember, remember. What would he do? Take them through their history, right? I saved you from Egypt. I, we, did, we crossed the Red Sea. We went into the wilderness. I adopted you. Why would he kept doing that? To tell them I was there the whole time. The only way you reprocess everything in your history is not to take Satan's advice by burying it and forgetting and thinking that God was never there. It's actually to look back and say, oh, wow, he was there providing, he was there presently, he was, he was delivering, he was orchestrating events. Boom, 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 boom. My history then militates against Satan. My history confirms that God has been with me from the day I was born. And so... When Satan takes your history and, and muddies it up, you, that's why you have to go back and say, no, he's been there, because then your history will help your faith. That's why he kept reminding Israel of their history, their history. Why? Because people say, I, just, I need more faith. Lord, grant me more faith. Remember that the guy said that? Do you know what, in, what increases your faith? your history with him and the history in the Bible. 
So we, we look at the Bible and we say, wow, look what God did with all these characters. But the problem sometimes we leave it there and say, well, he did it for them. He did it for them, but I don't know if he's going to do it for me, right? And so we leave that area as, well, those are the special ones. No, no, your history, the whole point of looking at Daniel or looking at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego or looking at Moses is to say, see what he did through Moses' life? He's doing the same thing in your life, but you've got to look at your history. That's the, the key in understanding how to increase your faith. And what happens, you see him there, and so, okay, he was there, wow, okay. Builds up your faith, he was there, yeah, wow, okay. Builds up my faith, boom, 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 boom. And before you know it, my history has actually built up my faith. And you'll see he has prepared you for now. Seeing your history is a preparation. Just like he told, uh, Mordecai told Esther, for such a time as this, some people, Christianities are cowering in fear right now because of the way the world's becoming. But I'm here to tell you, look at your history. You have been pre prepared for this day. You can do it. Because God's gonna say, look what I did to you in third grade. Look what happened when you were a teenager. Look what happened when this went on. Remember that when, when you had this crazy thing that went on? Ah, oh, yes, it all adds up for now. Now it makes sense. I can look at uh, history without Christ in my life and see see how my life was like a living hell. Mm -hmm. And then I, now that Christ is in my life, when, you know, I got delivered from me, he delivered me from myself. Yeah. And uh, and it, I don't understand how I lived without him. And my life, I mean, I can point out every little thing I've done. It's kind of crazy, but it's like, oh, it's like a Jesus freak thing. But it's it, But it's super cool. And I wouldn't change anything. And there's more crazy stuff that I feel like, you know, we got to pull off, like, especially right now. So I think that the overcomers are the tip of the spear with their testimony in the blood of Jesus. Right. So that's Revelations 2, 4 or 2, 7 or something like that. And that's and um, even the inmates that are in prison that that haven't don't know Jesus Christ yet or do know Jesus Christ. Those people's testimony is positive truth that Christ can change anybody's life. And then that's what's going to propel a lot of these people that have never been through that. I call those supermen and superwomen kind of. So I call us X-Men, X, you know, ex-drug addicts, ex-alcoholics or whatever. Um, so anyways, that's, that's where we're, we're pointing to now is like the time right here. I mean, it's everything, everything you're saying is so, so awesome. Okay. So here's my thing is you look, look beyond your days before Christ though. And what I want you to see is your life in history of what he was doing before you came to faith in him, how he was orchestrating your life. You get what I'm saying? Not even after you met Christ, but before. What was he doing to prepare you? So think about this. Uh, uh, and we'll get to Paul in just a second. I grew up Catholic. That could have been a very detrimental thing for me uh, in, in terms of works-based salvation, right? Um, but I got out of there when I was 19. But what, what did it do for me? Was there anything positive that came out of that the Lord used to bring me the faith in him when I was 19? Yeah, there was. Even though the Catholic faith is an apostate religion, it's a works-based religion, it did maintain the Trinity. What did that mean for me? 
I had no stumbling block accepting Christ because I already knew who he was in the Trinity. I knew he was the God-man. I knew there was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because that's what you get drilled into in Catholic school. So when someone presented that Christ uh, did all the work on the cross, because I saw Christ on the cross every school day, right? Christ was on the cross. I mean, I, I went through uh, all Catholic school to my eighth grade and almost went to Garces too. And, um, and so in my mind, I remember every classroom I was in, there was a picture of Christ on that cross. That actually worked to my favor because someone finally said, it was Dr. David Jeremiah, why he was on that cross. I never knew why he was on the cross. So in the back of my mind as a kid, why did he, why did he do that? I don't understand. I see him there, but I don't know until someone told me that's why he did it. Boom, it clicked. So I, 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 I had the stumbling block of the Trinity was gone. I, I accepted that. And then I, now someone finally told me what he did, just like that. What I saw was, even though I was in a cult, he used those elements, those elements of truth, to stair-step me to faith. That's how he worked. Even when, So go ahead, Paul. Yeah, I was going to say, there's a saying, you're never closer to Christ than when you're in a deep, deep crisis. Yeah, boy. The older you get, you're, you're going to have to face crisis. <laughs> but the thing is, you, I journal. And I like to write my victories and how I got to the victories. And there's a pattern of turning to Jesus. Is he in my battle? Asking myself questions. Am I trying to do this on my own? Right. And failing most of the time. Why am I not getting the victory? Yeah. And I just, I, I have to, it's funny how we forget the giants we overcame in the past and think that this new giant is so much bigger than that giant back there. So we have to kind of remind ourselves, remember yeah. How did you survive all that? By getting on your knees, crying out to God, and asking others to help you. That's right. So think about what you just said. When, when David goes and approaches King Saul, and no one will fight Goliath, remember that? Saul, you know, there, he's interacting with David, and David's, he's got to be 14, 15 years old. And he says, you know, basically, I'm paraphrasing, what, what makes you think you can handle this guy, man? Come on, no one's even going to fight him. He goes, look, I killed a lion and I killed a bear. You know what David was doing? He was rehearsing his past. Look, I, I, I can kill a lion and I can kill a bear, I can kill this guy. But what, what was that? It was God preparing him and David knowing his history that, look, I'm ready for this. Because if I can take these two things on, I can take this guy on. Because why? David killed them the same way. With a sling. That's how he killed the lion. He didn't do it with his bare hands. How did he kill Goliath? It wasn't with his bare hands, taking him on physically. That's the wrong thought. That's why the Israelites failed to face Goliath. They thought they had to face him physically. And David's like, you guys, are, you're, you're, un, you're too conventional in your thinking. It's not power versus power. It's wisdom versus power, and it's the word of God versus power, and I'll win every day. He's not stronger than a lion and bear, and David knows that. So how is he going to take him? I'll take a sling at him. And I do that to Goliath. I'll t I'm not going to go overpower him. He's too strong for me. And, and it's the sling that kills Goliath. It's the rock that kills Goliath or uh, passes him out, you know. But, but what is David showing David's showing, look, God has prepared me for this. 
He has prepared me to know how to kill, how to go against this battle. And so um, that's, I don't think like these other people do. I don't think I'm going to take this on by flesh. And, and, and really, when you look at the, the metaphor of David and Goliath, David is a picture of Jesus, okay? And Goliath is a picture of the Antichrist. And the, the five stones, he picks up five stones in the story for Goliath, but it's one stone's for Goliath and the four other are for his brothers. He had four other brothers. So he picks up five stones, he's going to take all of them out if he has to. But metaphorically speaking, typology, the five stones represent the word of God. Did you know that? The five stones are the first five books of Moses. He's going to take those stones and he's going to fire the word of God to destroy the person in the flesh. So, so how do I know that? Because when you go to the temptation of the Lord by Satan, what does he quote from? It quotes from one of the five books of Moses to take on Satan's temptations, right? It's a whole, it's a whole picture. And then furthermore, how does he destroy the Antichrist? Just overpowering him? <coughs> what comes out of the Lord's mouth in, the, in the Revelation 19? A sword. What's the sword represent? The word of God. This is not like a physical battle. What Jesus does when, it's, when he comes down at the second coming and Antichrist is there with the false prophet and his armies, he speaks and kills them all. <laughs> Done. Next, what do we got to do now? It's like so anticlimactic. It was like you're stamping, stepping on an ant as a human being. It was just like, all right, you're done. Playtime over, you're dead. And that's it. It's just his word that takes everything out. So the slingshot from Goliath is representative of the word being slung at the enemy. You see what I'm saying? And so that's, so you can see the metaphor in that speaking. So the same thing is true for us. If you're going to have victory, you've got to know the word of God. Okay, yeah, that's, but what do I need to know about? Well, just like I give you in my illustration. If you would have came to me and say, Brandon, the Bible says we got to trust God for control, I would have said, hallelujah, amen. You're right. But I couldn't live it out. I couldn't live it out. So what happened was, um, in order to do that transfer, I had to leave things behind. I had to let go. I had to die to self. I had to die to my way of managing life. And, and then I could cross over to that realm. If you're stuck in that realm, it's because A, you don't know what's making you stuck. B, you don't know the lies you believe. Uh, three, you, you don't know your identity. And, 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 and Satan is hiding all that stuff from you. And so you, if you don't know what the problem is, you can't effectively wield the rocks of the word of God. If you're going to be David and fire those rocks to your enemy, 
you've got to know who your enemy is. Now, you know the enemy is Satan, but you've got to know the enemy inside you. You are your own monster because of the sin nature. You have a monster inside of you called the sin nature. And that monster hides things from you. So how are you going to face the monster inside of you? Yeah, you can throw the rocks at Satan. I get it and resist him with the word of God. But you got to you got to throw the slings on your own uh, heart and figure that out because you, you, if you don't know what they are, you don't know what rocks to pick up. The rocks represent the five books of Moses, okay? When Jesus responds to people, he will respond specifically with a rock. Not a shotgun approach, but a rock. Every time to somebody, whether it's the Sadducees, the Pharisees. So it's the idea that you have to know the issue so well inside of you so that you can know what rocks to apply, if that makes sense. What rocks to put in the sling so you can fire it at your own monster inside of you. And the way the game is played, Satan keeps you blind to your own monster, and so you don't know what rocks to use. So if I go and tell you, hey, man, go read 1 John uh, 1 this or chapter 2, it will go right over your head. You'll understand the text, but you won't know how it applies to you. And then that's how Satan, he's got every Christian like that because they don't know their own, their own monster. I don't know. It seems, it seems like this game has been hidden for a long time. And too many people have just succumbed. And they, 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 this is why they don't have victory. They don't know how to have victory. And no one's ever taught them how to. And I don't know what's going on with the church. I don't know. This is, this is Bible uh, sanctification 101. But yet, it's almost like the pastors and the churches have hid this from people. And I don't get it. I don't get it. But I'm going to tell you, because this is the only, one to, the only way to get out of that mess. Anyway, any question before we, we uh, wrap up and go to current events? Right here, Pastor. Yes. Um, first of all, it's been a blessing listening to, listening to you. Um, my name is George Vasquez. I've been yeah, visiting here you. for a few weeks. Yeah. Um, I've been listening to you talk about the persons that need to transition into a renewed life. Yes. I just wanted to share a little bit. Uh, I came out of a corrupted life. Really? Um, the Bible says in Jeremiah fifteen fifteen that I found your word and I ate of it. Mm. It became to me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart Amen. because you called me by my name. Yeah. The Bible says in Romans 12, 2, not to be conformed to this world, but be renewed by the, be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Uh, the Bible says in Ephesians four twenty two in reference to my former manner of life, I've laid aside the old man, which was corrupted, and I've been renewed in my mind. Amen. The Bible goes on to say that the renewal is according to the biblical truth. Um, I, I grew up in a household in an environment where I had no knowledge of the Word of God. I had a supernatural experience. Really? Or the Lord touched me, delivered me, and I was introduced to his word. His word has renewed my mind. Um, I, the Bible says in the first John 4, 19, that I love God because he first loved me. And it's because of that encounter 
and the revelation of the fact that I met him, he saved my soul, he gave his son, renewed my mind with his word, that I respond to that love. Amen. I came out of a neighborhood with 15 holes in my body, Wow. with a heart full of hate, mm. mad at the world, yeah. had no knowledge of God. But it's when someone loves the Lord that he seeks the Lord in his intimate relationship for deliverance. And I found deliverance. Amen. And that's where my transition came. God bless you and thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, amen. God bless you, man. Appreciate that. Good job. One right behind Gabriel. So um, using the example that you gave of yourself, of uh, being a, a control freak and... and whatever uh, some person has going on in their life that presents a problem, whatever that may be. So where does the, uh, the if not come in? If that didn't happen, how would you control it if not? If I don't get out of it, or what well, do you mean by that? Like you had, you said that everybody has to have if not. Oh, yeah, and if not. It, it, and uh, if not? Yeah. How do you Well, that's talking about something different in the sense that you're going to have to go through trials in life, and we all pray for deliverance from those trials because no one wants to go through the furnace, but many times God doesn't remove that furnace, even though we request it, and he makes us go through it. So that's where the if not comes in. It's just the same as the Lord said in the Garden of Gethsemane, not thy will, but your will be done. Deliver me. He's asking for deliverance, right? from going to the cross, but it wasn't the will of the Father. So that's where his if not. And so that's the thing is we're talking about when God allows a furnace in your life that uh, you can pray for deliverance, but if not, you must go through it. And then the furnace is good because it'll burn the binds on you. So anyway, we're going to take a break and we'll come back and do current events.